1: This guy podcast, we're your host Steven and Kyle. And today I have put together a couple weird uh vanishing stories that I came across in the woods. Um, sort of missing 411, sort of not. Uh, these all involve people who were found afterwards alive, so it's kind of an interesting twist on it. But first, we've got to get through the business. So check us out at all our social medias Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok come and hang out with us if you have a paranormal experience you'd like for us to feature on a future show Kyle's going to tell you how to get it to us
2: you can record with your voice memo app and then email it to the show which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com you can write it out and send it there ironically enough a lot of people there are people that still call the old hotline and I don't even remember the number to that is um, the call eight line. And then we have the holophone, which that information is in the show notes for the phone number to that because I still haven't memorized that. But yeah, it's just about any way you can think about getting us your story, do it. Don't think about it, just do it. I have a lot of people who are like, well, I think I might send, no, just do it. Just send the story.
1: Just, Just do it.
2: We need all of it, always.
1: All the smoke.
2: Yeah, all of it.
1: Forever. Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, this show is dope. How can I support this? I thought you were gonna wonderful, say shitty. Wonderful podcast. Well, I got a plethora of ways you can support us. First off, the number one thing you can do is share the show. Tell all your friends, anyone that listens to the podcast, anyone that like weird stuff, tell them to check us out. Share us on all the social medias. We release an episode, just throw it out there. Be like, yo, listen to this. It's pretty dope.
2: These guys are island boys. Oh, God, no.
1: (laughs) No. Um, Anyway. Got him. We also have a P.O. box. If you want to send us anything weird, you got any kind of uh, cursed objects, any cool shit you come across, books, whatever, send them to us. We are grateful for everything we get. We also have a Patreon. If you like listening to us chat that much, we got some extra content over there and some goodies you can sign up for. Uh, we have a Venmo. Shoot us some monster money. We are greatly appreciative of that as well. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Uh, you can go buy a shirt at our shirt site. All this is in the show notes. And if you like to leave us a five-star rating and review, that would be excellent. Helps kind of get our name out there on all the major podcast platforms and just helps the show out all together. Today's... 5 star rating and review comes to us from our friend Bill CW 1026. He says great discussion about weird stuff, healthy dose of skepticism and open mindedness, and you learn a few things like if you see a gray, grab it by the ankles and start Louisville sluggering slugger, Louisville slugger swinging it into everything until it dies.
2: This is correct.
1: <laughs> Accurate.
2: Upon our studies, this is what we have found.
1: Yes, we have come across this as to be the only way to fight uh, extraterrestrial beings. So make note of that, please. Bill CW, thank you so much for taking the time to shout us out and leave us a five-star rating and review. Love it. Love it.
2: We do appreciate it a lot.
1: We're going to go right into our listener experience of the day. We got a few of them here from our friend Neil. Um, He sent some in to the uh, Call 8 line. So we're just going to play, I think there's... Three of them here. Two of them might be uh, one falling over into another, but we're just gonna play them for you guys. So here are some of Neil's experiences. And
3: um, I've got a few paranormal experiences for you. Um, <clears throat> first one's kind of short, but uh, I remember one night I was sitting down in the basement of my folks' home, and. Um, And it had to be when I was watching Ghost Hunters. I was addicted to that show when I was in high school. And um, I remember we had this lamp that had, like, multiple uh, light bulbs on it, and you could always, like, maneuver them around and such. And uh, it had, like, five or six light bulbs on it, maybe. And I remember I was sitting there watching Ghost Hunters, and I heard, like, this noise. And so I put it on pause because we had DVR and then I, and just for some reason, I looked right at this lamp. And as soon as I looked at it, like a second passed and all those bulbs just fell. Like, like the thing just broke and all the bulbs fell. And I got to tell you, I ran so fast up those stairs. Oh my God, it was terrifying. Um, and it, and it could have been just coincidence. I don't know, but, um, then the next experience, It actually comes from my mom. It was shortly after we had moved into the house. And where our house was positioned in the neighborhood, uh, from my my parents' bedroom window, they had a master bedroom, so it was a really big window. Um, My mom was sleeping, and, you know, my dad, I think, was out on a service call doing something. And um, I think I was downstairs, and my brother was upstairs or something like that. But it was in the middle of the night. And my mom just remembers waking up and then seeing this old woman with long white hair and, like, a white nightgown just very slowly yet, in a sense, sort of, like, almost floats into her room. But she walks straight towards that window, and then she just stops, and she's staring at this crematory um, and, you know, she's just staring right right in its direction. And my mom gets ready to yell for my brother. And this woman just looks right at my mom. But she puts both of her hands up as if to say, I mean you no harm. You know, you're okay. And then my mom just looks at her and says, go away in Jesus' name. And she said the woman just fades away. To this day, my mom doesn't know if it was a dream or what. But she is almost convinced that it was real. Because my mom is is very sensitive to those types of things. I remember when when my grandfather died, we were all in the hospital room or, like, the hospice room. And, you know, the nurse had her stethoscope up to my grandpa's chest, and his heart just slowly stopped beating. And once it stopped, I remember seeing my mom, like, just look up at the ceiling and grab my, you know, just grab my dad's arm. She goes, did you see it? Did you see it? And, you know, my dad's like, see what? And my mom says that she saw my grandfather's soul leave his body and disappear into the ceiling. So to my main experience, this was just a few nights ago. Uh, I'm still not sure if it was a dream or not. But um, I remember um, I, I was having trouble sleeping that night. And, um, and I'm in my, my apartment here at school and I remember just kind of waking up, but I'm still kind of in that, in that, um, in that kind of part where you're, you're right in the middle of waking up, but still kind of asleep. And I remember just feeling the sense of something is in the bed with me and it's, it's definitely not good. So my fight or flight reflexes just kick in, and instead of instead of flight, I'm gonna fight. And so I remember taking both my hands and putting up, like putting them to where the neck would be of this thing, and I just start squeezing the neck. And I remember opening my mouth as as if I'm just yelling and just screaming, and not out of fear, but out of like anger or something. And I'm just choking it to death. And I mean. Thank God no one was actually in the bed with me, but I remember opening my eyes, and then my bathroom door, which is right next to the head of my bed, it's just across from Hey guys, this is Neil again. I, I got cut off. I hit the time limit, but uh, <clears throat> um, to pick up right where I left off, um, when I opened my eyes, I saw my, you know, I just kind of saw my bathroom door which is right across the uh right across the room from where my headboard of the bed is. So, you know, if I'm laying on my side, um, I open up my eyes and the door's just across the room. Well anyway, I remember seeing the door fly open and the light is on and there's somebody I don't know if it was a guy or a girl because you know they, this this thing had white skin, you know, not not like pale white, but just white skin, blonde hair, and it was it was kind of long hair, so you know, kind of looked like kind of like the kind of looked like the uh, long hair that a girl would have or something like that. But there was no genitalia of any kind, um, nothing on the chest, nothing down south, if you catch my drift, and um, but it was floating on its back and um, its its shoulder blades were kind of like arched backwards you know just kind of like pinching the the middle of the back and then i remember it 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 put its head up to where i could see its eyes and its eyes were just completely black there was no white to the eyes or nothing it was just black and i remember it it opened its mouth and just started screaming. And and as soon as that happened, I, I actually just kind of sat up for a second. And then as soon as I realized that I'm in my room and the bathroom door is shut, I just lay back down and go to sleep. But, you know, the strange thing that I remember is that it was like maybe 6 in the morning, when I woke up uh, from, from all that. And then when I went back to sleep, I slept hard. Like I just slept, you know, just drool coming out of my mouth and everything. And I remember just waking up and just and kind of looking around my room, and then I went into my bathroom and turned on the light, looked around, and there was nothing there. And I just wondered to myself, was that just a dream that my brain just kind of came up with, or was that possibly something else? Like, should I be worried or should I not? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel perfectly safe being here in my apartment and everything, but I don't know, man. It was just really, really weird. And I've been listening to your show. Um, I uh, uh, The last one, you know, like the first episode that I listened to was like the like the Phantom Creeps, but I've been going back to all the way back to episode one and then just trying to catch up and listen to everything. And I keep hearing the numbers. So, you know, I figured, Hey, what the heck I'll just call. And, and, uh, so yeah, here I am leaving my second message. And, um, uh, if you guys have any questions, I'd be more than happy to call back and, and answer any of your questions. And, um, yeah, guys, uh, keep up the great work. I plan on getting a shirt soon and, um, and I'll pitch in for your monster fund. All right, guys, take care. Uh, have a great day or night whenever you listen to this, and we'll talk to you later. All right, bye.
1: Well, thanks so much for uh, calling in, Neil. I we're gonna save your third uh, entry for another show since it's kind of it's a little bit different than what you have going on here. Um, a couple things about the soul leaving the body. I. Immediately pulled up the 21 gram experiment, which I don't know if any if any listeners know about this, but it, it's essentially a scientific study to prove whether or not a soul exists and is is a physical property. 21 gram experiment refers to a scientific study published in 1907 by Duncan McDougall, a physician from Haverhill, Massachusetts. McDougall hypothesized that souls have a physical weight and attempted to measure the mass lost by a human when the soul departed the body. McDougall attempted to measure the mass exchange of six patients at the exact moment of death. One of the six subjects lost three quarters of an ounce, or 21.3 grams. McDougall stated that his experiment would have to be repeated many times before any conclusion could be obtained. The experiment is widely regarded as flawed or unscientific, unscientific due to the small sample size. And the methods used, as well as the fact that only one of the six six subjects met his hypothesis. But, like I said, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that um, the soul is I don't know. It's a it's not even is it even a topic of debate? Like I guess it could be
2: like if we have one or not. Yeah,
1: you know what I mean. Like
2: oh yeah, I feel like there are people out there that don't think that their soul is real.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: I believe that. For sure.
1: And it's it's something that has clearly weighed on the human consciousness for for a long time, because this is over 100 years ago. They were still trying to figure out, like, if the soul had a physical presence or if it's just a metaphysical thing, if it's a spiritual thing, you know. It's, it's
2: interesting that they thought that there would be weight to it. Like, it's... I definitely would not have had that assumption.
1: The, I mean, that's a... It's kind of a a very scientific way to go about it, to see For if, sure. to, to bring some physicality to it.
2: Yeah, and, in, you, you know, measure any aspect of, of a death as you can. Yeah. It makes sense, I mean.
1: It is, it is wild.
2: But um, I have heard of things like that where people are passing and nurses or, or family members see, like, actually see something leave the, the person's body upon death, which would just be bizarre.
1: Yeah. And if it, if there is any weight through the experiment, no pun intended, but kind of a pun intended, makes you wonder what those other five people had going on in their lives that their soul wasn't there to leave.
2: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, maybe these were just Damn. utterly terrible people that... <laughs> Didn't have a soul in the end. I don't know,
1: man. It's weird. <laughs> but um we do appreciate you being a new listener, Neil. We're glad that you found yeah, us and sure. hanging out. Um on to your your second story about the the screaming entity. That kind of like the mental picture I got is kind of messing with me. Um the way you describe it makes me think of a one of the, the Nordic aliens. You know the yeah. pale skin, the long blonde hair, um, kind of plays into that archetype.
2: I don't think the Nordic aliens are ever malicious, though, are they? Uh, At least most of the accounts not, that I've encountered.
1: Yeah, none of the.
2: But that that would be kind of also yeah. ignorant to assume that they are all friendly.
1: Um, According to Wikipedia, in ufology, Nordic aliens are humanoid extraterrestrials purported to come from the Pleiades, who resemble Nordic Scandinavians. Contactees describe them as being six to seven feet tall, with long blonde hair and blue eyes and fair skin. Uh, Ufologist George Adamski is credited with being among the first to claim contact with Nordic aliens in the 1950s. Uh, scholars note the mythology of extraterrestrial vi- visitations from beings with features described as such often include claims of telepathy benevolence and physical beauty so often they're they're not bad right what people say
2: i' say it's normally what i've heard of them is that i, I don't really, i don't know if i've ever stumbled across an account where they've been malicious at all i'm not saying they're not out there because they probably are but
1: yeah, I know. It's
2: also weird that he noticed that it had no genitalia of any shape. Yeah, like anything at all.
1: That was just the first thing that popped into my head. Sounded like a Nordic
2: alien. Oh, for sure.
1: And the I don't know the just looking over and seeing it scream would f with me.
2: Well, yeah,
1: it's wild. But we look forward to hearing some more. Like I said, we've got uh, another encounter from Neil. We're gonna put on a future show about a UFO that is pretty dope. So stay tuned to that, and if you have any other ones, keep them coming, man. We, we love the weirdness. Absolutely. That being said, let me find my information here. Right here, I got some short little blurbs together about missing people that I thought I'd share with you guys, so we're going to dive right into that and see where it goes. Um, I've always kind of dug into the missing 411 phenomenon, um, kind of doing some more research on it, but as I come across weird, bizarre incidents, I kind of like flag them so I can talk about them and I haven't been putting a very many, um, episodes together on it, but I have a whole bunch anyway. This one is in reference to people who have went missing in the woods, but then they are found alive. So it kind of holds a different credence than people who don't come back, people that are found dead, because really the only account you have of anyone knowing what the hell is going on are the people that have come back. You know what I mean? Facts. So I'm just going to share some of these with everybody. Uh, the first one, I call it the Watcher in the Woods. In September 2012, 53-year-old Linda Artega was out with her brother, Eddie Huff, hiking and practicing survival skills and camping in the woods around St. Joe, Arkansas. Not long into the trip, the two became separated. Right off the bat, the information gets confusing as Eddie couldn't recall exactly how they became separated. He managed to make it home, and when he was asked as to where Linda was, he insisted that he had left his sister at a relative's house. This was not the case, as Linda was nowhere to be found. By this point, Eddie seemed genuinely confused and seemed to have no memory as to where where or what had happened to Linda. Shortly after Linda was declared missing, and a large-scale search effort of almost 100 people ensued. Search and rescue, local law enforcement, first responders, volunteers took off on foot, on horseback, and on ATVs. Linda had been missing for five days, causing the local police department to believe that they were on a recovery mission as opposed to a a rescue mission. However, on the fifth day, search and rescue found Linda wandering around the woods alone. The sheriff would report that Linda had some cuts and bruises it was otherwise in a fairly good health condition considering she'd been out in the wilderness for five days. Linda had been wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and flip-flops when they started the hike. The sheriff did report that she seemed a little, quote, out of her head, end quote, when talking about her experience. She stated that she had tried to use the survival skills that her brother was teaching her. She also said that she survived on hazelnuts, berries, watercress, and water from a nearby creek. The nights got relatively cold, and she spent the nights huddled in the fetal position trying to stay warm, hoping that someone would find her. Here's where her story gets kind of weird. Linda states that while she was in the woods, she had seen and come across a number of fellow hikers. She would try yelling at them and getting their attention, but they all just continued on as if they didn't even know Linda existed. No matter what she did or how loud she would call out to them for help, they would just continue on their way as if she couldn't be seen or heard. Stranger still, Linda reported that she had seen shadowy people watching her, hiding in the bushes and darting in and out behind the trees. She described these shadow people as very weird. The next thing she knew, she was being discovered by the search and rescue team. When questioned about how her and Eddie became separated in the first place, Linda seemed just as confused as Eddie about the situation. She stated that she thought her brother had become injured on the hike and that she had to go and get help. The truth behind their separation is probably lost with time, and it's extra bizarre to me that both of them were so confused and disoriented about how they became separated. Like, that just is wild to me.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, police, because he, he what, I assume he was involved in the search for her?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm assuming so. He, Once they found out that so she weird. didn't go home, I mean... Because he he stated that he had dropped her off at a uh, or stated that she had went to a friend's house, which never happened, and she thought that he had got hurt and she had to go for help.
2: That is so weird.
1: Like, what is going on in the forest?
2: Yeah, something was definitely influencing him. So
1: disoriented. Police cited the more bizarre accounts to Linda's story. to Linda's story, as hallucinations assumed to be brought on by ingesting toxic berries as well as dehydration. However, we know that Linda stated she did have water and drank water from a nearby creek. So, dehydration's out of the picture. A physician that examined Linda after her return stated that she was in remarkably good health for a person that was missing in the wild for almost a week. This is important to note because most berries that cause hallucinogens are also exceptionally toxic to the people ingesting them especially ones that could cause hallucinations that consist of hikers that are oblivious to you and shadow people hiding behind bushes. There was no indication that Linda had eaten any toxic berries outside of the assumption that this is what caused her strange experience. Linda reported no nausea or stomach pains that are common with ingesting toxic plants. She also reported seeing no geometric shapes or colors that come with ingesting hallucinogens. It's completely understandable that law enforcement would conclude this, that these strange aspects of Linda's case were brought on by toxic berries, um, especially considering the other scenarios that could be at play here. You know, that opens up a whole world to questions that we don't have any answers to. There's a number of rabbit holes we could go down, uh, portals, alternate dimensions, time slips, interdimensional beings. I mean, it's weird. Linda seemed to accept the hallucination story, which who can blame her? Because the alternative is exceptionally hard to rationalize. And eating some bad berries will always sit better th- than knowingly accepting that you have stepped into a world where no one no- else knows that you exist except the watchers in the woods.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I feel like there's definitely some form of entity behind it, you know, because she saw, well, the 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 shadow people borderline acknowledged her whereas it's almost like she could still see into our world
1: and they, they couldn't see but they couldn't see her yeah, almost almost like the something was going on in those woods to make the veil so thin that she's just right there on yeah. the, on the precipice of it on the cusp of it that like almost like she's just she's phasing in and out of it yeah and the hikers that she saw couldn't couldn't see her
2: but the, the strange part is, is that they both have different stories
1: yeah like
2: where does that come like from like something's
1: almost almost got them so messed up that they don't even know like what is going on yeah i would i would want to know i would want to go back and check out other people hiking in that area and see if maybe they saw some phantom hiker you know, trying to yell at them yeah. through the veil, you know, like almost like the two the two uh, timelines were crisscrossing, you know what I mean? Right. And wh- who knows, like maybe Linda stepped out of her timeline and into this timeline and it's not her original timeline.
2: It's too late <laughs> to be thinking like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah.
1: She might not even be in the real world where she's supposed to be. And she's just like, you know what? Maybe I did eat some weird berries. That's oh, what that's I'm going. Prob- with. Yeah,
2: that's what I would do.
1: <laughs> because, like, like I wrote out there, the 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 alternate of that is terrifying. Like, I would rather just write it off that I ate some weird stuff, as opposed to being like, man, I'm in a different dimension than I'm supposed to be in, dog.
2: Yeah, and there's these c- creepy shadow people following me around.
1: Which I'm yeah. good. Especially at that point where you're trying to, where you see actual people and you think, okay, I'm going to be rescued, I'm safe. And you're yelling at them and you're talking to them and they're just moving on like you don't even exist. And then you have the shadow people poking their heads in and out being weirdos. From there, we're going to move on to um, odd disappearances and reappearances of children. These aren't quite as long, but they're still pretty bizarre enough to where I noted them. Um, the first one is Lillian Carney. On Sunday, August 8th, 1897, Lillian Carney went to pick blueberries with her parents around the Aroostook River near uh, Masardic, Maine. At around noon, her parents noticed that Lillian was nowhere to be found. They started searching for the child immediately. They soon realized that they needed more help and sought more manpower. They searched well into the night, and the next morning, more than 200 men joined the search for Lillian. They carefully walked the miles around the site Lillian had disappeared, finding no clues whatsoever, but continuing the search well on into the night. On the third day, the search party swelled to over 300 men scouring the area. Mid-morning, a man named Bert Pollard found Lillian wandering the forest about three miles from the area she went missing. The little girl was calm and collected and told the man she was lost and looking for her mother. She was carrying a handful of wild berries and But she didn't eat any of them because she said that she was worried that they might not be good for her. Then she made the statement that makes this whole disappearance a bizarre one. Lillian claimed that the sun had shined the entire time she was in the woods. She stated this despite the fact that she had been missing for two full nights the local paper that, paper that covered the story tried to make sense of this statement by saying that the moon was exceptionally bright on those nights, hence insinuating that the child had mistaken the moon for the sun. Sounds far-fetched considering um, she has seen the moon and the sun her entire life, so hard to get those confused. Yeah,
2: and you don't typically confuse the two, period, the end. I mean, it's...
1: <laughs> yeah, when it's daytime, a, it's a, daytime.
2: Yeah, it's a clear difference.
1: I, that's like a common common theme in these weird disappearances and reappearances. People try to write the weird stuff off as just, as just everyday occurrences. Like, oh, well, you know, she said the sun never set, but it was probably the moon. It's, I don't know, it's bizarre. Lillian went on to state that she had heard people the day before, but she was scared and stayed hid because she thought that they were tramps. Another bizarre note is that she states she saw little things running around that were the size of her cat. When she clapped at them, they scurried away. The same paper tried to write this off as them being local rabbits native to the forest area. But what six-year-old doesn't know what a rabbit is. Especially one of that time period where they were probably a common food source. She was soon returned to her parents and showed no uh, ill-lasting effects from her time in the woods. So, again, another bizarre aspect of the story is that she saw what she said were little creatures the size of her cat. I mean, like, like if your boy saw a rabbit, he knows what a rabbit is. Oh
2: yeah. Without question.
1: It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything else than a rabbit.
2: No. And if he saw a cat, it'd be a cat. Like he, he knows.
1: So I'm kind of, um, like, I keep getting all of these stories with berries and stuff, and I've been trying to look up the significance to uh, berries and the fae, and I can't quite seem find a correlation. I know there's a lot of people that are deep into fae lore. If anybody knows about, like, if, if berries have a special meaning to the fae, Um, I'm just curious because a lot of these people are eating the berries found with the berries, picking berries, like berries is a commonality here. Another, uh, side note. I, um, I was using uh, the missing enigma on YouTube as a source. They do a lot of great, um, investigative work on these missing person cases. They noted that if you look up the Lillian Carney disappearance, there is a site that comes up that, uh, exact exaggerates this whole story quite a bit. Um, The site says that a John Poland, grandson of Bert Poland, uh, wrote a, or found a letter that his grandfather had written, which Bert Pollock was the one who found Lillian, not Poland. So you already know there's not much credibility here because they can't even get the damn names right. But he said when he found her, she was wearing a cape of fur and a crown of flowers and she kept talking about hairy people with lights in their eyes if you come across this there's no there's no evidence of this ever happening so interesting write that off they can't even get the names right but it kind of took a life of its own in the bigfoot world and quite frankly like they state in their youtube video this story is weird enough that you don't have to add a bigfoot aspect to it
2: right and it, i don't i just don't get why people would want to do that anyways just embellish something
1: That's Yeah, that's already weird. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Anyway, on to the next one. This is Jackie Copeland. On May 14th, 1950, in Pleasantville, Pennsylvania, Jackie Copeland was spending time with his family picnicking on some land owned by an oil company that Jackie's father had worked for. At some point during the day, the two-year-old Jackie had wandered off. One of Jackie's four sisters noticed that he was missing and notified their father. The family searched for a while and soon after notified authorities. Local state police soon joined the search. The oil company for whom Jackie's dad worked for also provided a massive volunteer search effort as well, culminating in more than 500 people looking for the small boy. It was noted that there were no creeks or large holes or mines in the area, but there was was thick foliage and a lot of machinery for the oil company. There was essentially no clues as to where the child went, despite the large group searching continuously through the night. The following morning, a volunteer oil worker who was out searching separated himself from the search party to go look around a nearby repressing plant. A local newspaper recounts what he saw while searching. It states, quote, He saw something peering at him from behind a big tree. When he approached, the creature scampered into the brush. It was a badly frightened, oil-smeared little Jackie. He cried when I picked him up, but when I told him I was going to help him get him back to his daddy, he stopped sniffling and hugged me. Jackie was found a little more than a mile from their picnic site where he disappeared. The rescuers then took Jackie back to the safety of his parents. He was taken to the hospital where he was cleared with a clean bill of health despite a few scratches from spending the last 20 hours in the woods. Afterward, Jackie was able to comment on his experience in the woods. Reporters stated that Jackie spoke in a child speak about his awful adventure with a great blackened giant and a tall friendly tree, wild animals showing and wild animals howling in the distance and unfamiliar shouts of strangers prowling nearby. So that gets a little strange, right? Was, I mean, was this just like a two-year-old trying to process the things that were going on around him? The giant, uh, the black giant, could that have been a piece of the oil refining machinery or was it something more than that? Was the tree just a tree? You know, who was... Was he hearing the searchers search for him out there? I don't know.
2: Sounds like he hung out with Bigfoot and Groot.
1: Yeah. True.
2: I don't know. It's weird. And it's not a, a small time to be spent alone either. I know this, right now this is the shortest one. We're 20 hours missing.
1: Yep. And That's still
2: a, a good chunk of time.
1: The rescuer that found him said he, he was shocked that no one had noticed him moving toward that area because the way he described it was there was this um, refinery road that kind of went off to the side from their picnic area. And most of what it was around it was clear and open fields. So it wasn't all of the thick foliage that essentially encompassed the camps or the picnic site, but it was like pretty much the easiest path a two-year-old would walk down essentially, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's,
1: The path of least resistance. Right, exactly. But the fact that nobody saw him get to that point was what made it like crazy because it was a mile. And think about how long it'd take a two-year-old to walk a mile, probably quite a bit.
2: I'm sure. And I feel like they'd get distracted a lot, tired, scared.
1: I got one more short one here to wrap it up. And this is the story of Larry and Janet McGee and Steven Cross. On June 7, 1951, a couple families traveled into the Sangre de Cristo Mountains outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. The families were spending the day in the terrain around the Santa Fe ski basin when Larry and Janet, ages 7 and 5 respectively, and their friend Stephen Cross, age 3, went off into the nearby woods to pick up some sticks to roast hot dogs for the fire. They never returned. Their parents spent time looking for them, but in the increasing panic, they contacted the New Mexico State Police, who took over the search. 500 volunteers assisted in the search, including planes, bloodhounds, and 200 soldiers from nearby Kirtland Air Force Base. As night drew, the search continued. Searchers used powerful spotlights to shine up into the mountains, hoping that the kids would see them and follow them back down. The following day, almost 30 hours after they'd been missing, three Air Force sergeants stumbled upon the children hiding in a hollowed-out log, nearly three and a half miles from where they went missing. As they were reunited with their family, the wild and harrowing tale of how their time went began to come to light. One of the most puzzling aspects was seven-year-old Larry's telling of the events. He states, quote, We heard a lot of noises, but we were afraid to yell because we thought that the gorillas might be around. Most of the time, we just kept walking, hand in hand, because, because the bears were up there and they just kept after you. Authorities at the time completely wrote off this aspect of the story, claiming it was just a part of the children's vivid imagination, which is kind of hard to believe that uh, right after the harrowing night the children had that they would just make up some stuff like this, especially when they also stated that they spent the night eating leaves and huddled together in a hollowed-out log, which was completely true. And the fact that the seven-year-old is describing a gorilla is pretty specific to me.
2: Yeah, I'd say.
1: So it makes, it makes you wonder what they did see. I did look it up, and New Mexico does have black bears, so the bear aspect could be factual. They could have been being stalked by a bear while they were out there. But the gorilla thing, like, come on now. There are no gorillas in New Mexico.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds very bigfooty for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's just weird that they hid. Because you and the, I mean obviously they hid because they felt threatened.
1: And they didn't want to make any noise. Right. Like yeah, it does. It makes you wonder if they were showing like signs of aggression. Right. Maybe. I don't know, man. It's a bizarre. But those are a few little blurbs I found about people that went missing and had weird circumstances after they were found. Um all sorts of weird shit in the woods.
2: Yeah, like you said on that later show how the the woods are a very mysterious and strange place. Like there's a lot of weird things that happen in the woods.
1: Yeah, it really it really leads you to a lot of speculation like what is going on out here because you keep hearing more more and more accounts of all this bizarre stuff. Like is it is it Bigfoot? Is it the fae? Is it is it some kind of interdimensional veil slippage where you just move in and out of all this stuff that you know you know nothing about it's I don't know
2: maybe well, then it brings me back to Native American lore like I'm sure that this isn't a new thing of all these oddities happening in the forest in the woods and everything else you know maybe a lot maybe they saw a lot of this and experienced a lot of this too
1: oh yeah I'm sure you know I'm sure of it you hear tales about um, them talking about rocks opening up and swallowing people whole, and all sorts of all sorts of stuff too. I
2: don't know, man. It's it's weird, and like you said, I don't know. There's been a lot of people, which a lot, I mean, in some of the cases, of course, the missing people in the woods. It, it's gonna make sense, like you know, you have animal attacks and getting lost and et cetera, et cetera, but. Something like you said earlier, some of these ones where people come back and they just their stories are just bizarre, like robot grandma and and yeah. just all these other cases, man. It's just
1: Just so off the wall. Right. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. No. I
2: don't yeah. know, it's so weird.
1: It makes me leery of going into the woods. You know, like Yeah. I wish I I wish there was more evidence. Like like Linda's case how how did they get so disoriented that they a had no idea how they lost track of each other and b had two completely separate stories as to what happened in the woods
2: yeah that one that one's the one that gets me the most because they have cover stories
1: yeah like like something <clears throat> had got into their minds yeah to the point to where it was trying to like like planting screen memories where if Linda didn't come back, the, the brother would have been like, yeah, she went, she went to her friend's house. Right. You know, she went to her relative's house.
2: That one's weird. That's, that one's super that's weird. It's
1: terrifying that whatever it is, is essentially creating its own narrative into these people going missing.
2: Yep. That, that one's weird. That one has me the most fucked up.
1: Yeah. It's almost like Linda wasn't supposed to come back.
2: I wouldn't doubt it. We did uh, a Woods episode before, where there was cases like this, where people would slip into a different spot. I vaguely vaguely remember one where I think it was the woman got separated from her husband and kid, and they were running up and down the path looking for her, and she never once saw him go by. Yeah, it is something like, to that effect. Anyways,
1: it's wild. It does. It makes you wonder if. If it is thought manipulation to where, you know, they're imagining this stuff happening or if it's if it's actually like a veil slippage.
2: I don't know. It's something and it's something creepy and bizarre (laughs) because I ain't trying to go. I would freak out if I was trying if I saw people and they wouldn't they refuse to acknowledge me. at the same time, I'm seeing shadow entities just bounce around all around me.
1: It would be so terrible being lost, being separated in the woods, especially for in that case, she was gone for five days. Yeah. Say on day three, you finally see other hikers, you hear other hikers, and you're right there like, yo, help me. And they're just still hiking about their business like you're a ghost.
2: Well, and then the doctor said for being in the woods for five days, she was in pretty good shape. Yep, it almost made it. I I almost wonder if she didn't even realize how long she was gone. Oh yeah, she thought it was maybe a couple hours. You know, who knows?
1: And their stories are so different. They're so different. How she thought that her brother was hurt and she was going to get help, and he thought that they just walked out of the woods and she was a little bit behind him.
2: So weird.
1: So they're so different. I don't know.
2: And then you feel for the kids locking themselves in the trunk because they were scared of whatever the fuck was out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They they hid in there and just... Don't
1: make any s- sounds.
2: Yeah. And you can only imagine how scared they were when they heard the searchers approaching.
1: Yeah, and I mean, s- seven years old is, pr- is, is... It's
2: relatively young. You know what's going on. Like, yeah.
1: Like, you can separate fact from fiction in a lot of cases. You still got a vivid imagination, but... You don't mistake a uh, badger for a
2: gorilla, right? You
1: know what I mean, you don't mistake uh, uh, something you can't explain for a rabbit. You know, you don't mistake the damn sun for the moon.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's just that's ignorant. Uh,
1: it's uh, I don't know, it's bizarre. But as I've stated before, missing people cases have always uh, piqued my interest. They've always been like on my radar how someone can go missing and never be found again it's just bonkers to me so when I come across these weird ones I like to uh, set them aside and I'll start putting them together for you guys if you enjoyed it so that wraps up my little episode here until we meet again check us out at all our social medias and share this show share share please so until we meet again stay safe stay weird And if you're in the woods and you start seeing weird stuff, get the hell out of there.
0: Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread